This is Ananin Kaike, and welcome to Voice of the Water Lily, an exploration of our ancestral music over the last 100 years intertwined with a historical and personal perspective. We will be exploring Latin music, more specifically salsa, Latin jazz, Cuban music, and Puerto Rican music. We are going to go deep into the history, learn about the seminal artists, as well as the artists that never received recognition, and we're going to add a personal touch through memories and anecdotes. Espero que disfruten mucho, con mucho, mucho cariño. Que lo que hay, mi gente. What's up, everybody? I am so excited and happy to present to you today's show, which is celebrating the life and work with of Rafael Cortijo, featuring a very special guest. Uh, we have Aurora Flores with us, and she talks about so many incredible things. It's really a fascinating conversation. She talks about Cortijo's beginnings, um, and really how how when he first formed the band, when Imai Rivera first came to sing in the band with him, there is really an amazing connection here to Bobby Capon, um, how he had his important place in the career of Rafael Cortijo. And um, of course, there's an, another connection that I really, that really kind of surprised me. Um, and that I found very interesting was a connection to Arsenio Rodriguez and how he wrote a song for them, which we're going to hear later, called I Bailad Mi Bomba, and how he greeted them when they first came to New York. Um, so you're going to hear all about that and so much more. And of course, this is all with a lot of incredible music. And I just first of all want to thank Aurora for taking the time to have this wonderful conversation with me. Um, so now you are hearing this amazing show. Uh, and so, anyway, I hope you enjoy it. We're going to get straight to it here. and But before we get straight to the, to the conversation, we're going to start with a little music. Here we're going to hear a tune called Orisa. And then we're going to hear the conversation with Aurora.
think, in my opinion, a percussion genius. He had beats flowing through his blood since he was a little boy. I remember speaking with Ismael Rivera's mother, Margarita, and she used to tell me that he always had Rafael, Rafa, as they called him, always had drums draped around his neck, and he would come and pick up Ismael, and they'd go to the beach, and they would drum, and, and she told me that at first she didn't like him, and she didn't want, like, Maelo hanging out with him because all he did was play these drums and everything, and it might be a bad influence on Maelo. And then she said something, which also is telling of a lot of when you're a colonialized um, community, mm-hmm. how people, even among themselves, will have that kind of uh, racial difference according to shades. Mm-hmm. So I remember her telling me that Gordillo was so black he was blue. <laughs> and I'm like, really? <laughs> and, and of course, being in the sun mm-hmm. on top of all that, and they mm-hmm. go on to drum. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, but that Maelo, since he was a little boy, he w- would also put seeds in bottles and he would always be hitting cans and mm-hmm. doing things like that. Right. And then she said after a while they had such a bond that they were like brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, Maelo had all the brothers. In fact, one of them was uh, uh, a priest or a pastor of some kind. Yeah, and... Mm-hmm. Um, but he had a bond with Cortijo. Mm-hmm. And Cortijo had certain ideas. And he would push Imael, which was another thing. Maelo said that he had his job because he, he wanted to help his mother. His father was an alcoholic and his father was not around. And well, his mother, you know, basically threw him out because there was domestic violence and she mm-hmm. threw him out. Mm-hmm. But politically, his father... He told me his father wanted independence for Puerto Rico, and they wanted freedom, you know. Mm-hmm. They had come to Puerto Rico, the family, as enslaved Africans. Right. Um, so they had this, but because of, again, colonialism and alcoholism and all of that, um, he wanted to help his mother. And he always told his mother that he would make money. And even though he wasn't making money with the music, he started Shining Shoes. Then from Shining Shoes, he got a job as a bricklayer. But, Gordillo would come at lunchtime. And then at lunchtime, they would start inventing rhythms and inventing rhymes. And and Maela would also play the drums with them. Mm. So they have sort of like these... uh, noontime percussion se- sessions. <laughs> wow, that must have been amazing. Right, yeah. right. And, and uh, Maelo at first was hired by some groups as a percussionist. Hmm. But it was Contigo who told um, the head of La Panamericana because he was looking, he had this big band. And as the big band, he wanted to do all these different rhythms. So it was Cortijo who recommended Imael Rivera to sing with them. Oh, wow. And Maelo told me at first he didn't want to. He was like, wow, that's like, you know, it's a huge band. Yeah. But then it was Cortijo told him, no, you could do it. You can sing. You can do that. 
And not, not only did he do it, I mean, he sang and he even, um, I think on that album, with La Panamericana, he has that song in English, Beautiful Girl. Mm. Then right after that, Contigo forms, you know, Contigo su combo. Mm-hmm. And at first it was just a sextet. Mm. Okay. And, and they had, uh, uh, Sammy Ayala was singing with them. Um, uh, Imael wasn't singing with them just yet. Right. Um, but they were playing a lot. They were gigging. Then Imael joined them, you know, after he left Panamericana. And um, they would not only play around Puerto Rico, they would play around the Virgin Islands. Mm-hmm. They would go to Jamaica. They would go to the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. So when you listen to Cortijo's music, when you listen to that thing, mm-hmm. or maybe like in the planas, you have the conga is doing the plena rhythms. Right. Because at that time, especially for recording, the panderos and the bajiles, didn't record the way they wanted. Yeah, yeah. So they would use the gongas for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But what Cotillo's doing on the timbal and what he's doing on the shell, on the bells, all of that is very calypso-like. Yeah, it's very different than what anyone else does. It's yeah. very unique. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. that's that, yeah. that I always come was like that's yeah. different. It's, it's different. Yeah. yeah. But if you really listen to it, it's very calypso. it's very mm. much calypso, it's very much soca, it's very much that um and it blends together so well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So So I hope you enjoyed that first segment there where we hear a bit, a, bit, a bit about the background um, and we get some background information there. We talk about the early days, you know, when, when he first formed the, his band and growing up and all that. So <clears throat> next we're going to hear a very interesting part here about the role of Bobby Capon in the career of, and the work of Gordijo. And here's what's interesting. We, the, the issue of racism in Puerto Rico is also brought up at the time. And you're going to hear a bit about that. And why what Cortijo did was so pivotal, was so seminal at the time that he did it. Um, so we're going to hear that segment next. Before that, here's Volare. Enjoy. <laughs>
Pero feliz a lo alto del cielo Más cerca del sol Y a la tierra más chica se hacía de un raro color Más un ángel del cielo Cantaba esta dulce canción Turns a very different man. He went to New York as one of Puerto Rico's best singers to audition for Javier Cuga mm -hmm. because Miguelito Valdez had left right. to do his own thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But when he gets to Javier Cuga, who was the house band at the Waldorf Astoria for mm -hmm. a couple of decades, and um, mm -hmm. uh, Javier Cuga tells him, "You're a great singer, but..." You're one shade too dark for my band. And here, you know, I'm the house band of the Waldorf, you know? And then we go to California and I'm in the movies. You know, I, I right. can't have you. Mm -hmm. So he's very disillusioned, Bobby. Mm -hmm. And um, he actually does some stints with Nat King Cole. And he joins Dorothy Dunham um, Dance Company and they tour. And he gets to see racism in America during mm -hmm. that early time in the 50s mm -hmm. when it so. I mean, one of the things they would tell me, Sammy Ayala, who was here, Sammy Ayala was a veteran. He was in the army and he was stationed here for a while in the South. Mm -hmm. He said there was racism in Puerto Rico. But he said here he had never seen, like, separate water fountains. Right. Separate toilets. He said here was obscene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Theme. Yeah, absolutely. That he hadn't seen. Mm -hmm. And um, Bobby Capo hadn't seen it either. Right. Until he had that experience. Mm -hmm. So here comes Bobby Capo. He comes back to Puerto Rico. And he's a different man now. Mm -hmm. Now... Television is starting in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, television is almost everywhere, right? And it's, it's on all the islands. And um, Bobby Capo becomes the producer of El Show de Mediodía. And Bobby Capo decides, I'm going to get my buddy, Coltijo y Sucombo, to be the houseman. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And... 
every day on a show de mediodía. And then Cotillo told me that when they first uh, taped the show, they taped it in, in one of the, in a condado, I think it was, in a condado. Mm -hmm. And that Bobby Capo paid for their rooms in advance. Mm -hmm. So Cotillo, don't come to the back, come to the front. Don't come into the kitchen. Coming to the front, you guys are headliners. Right, right. And uh, he did. And even with all that, when they went to the manager to get their rooms, the manager was like, no, you can't stay here. <laughs> Until Bobby came and said, wait, I paid for these rooms. Right. And they all said, oh, yes, sir, yes, sir, of course, of course. <laughs> um, right, yeah. That was the end of that argument. So Bobby Capo becomes sort of a linchpin. Mm -hmm. This scenario mm -hmm. of a really black music movement in Puerto Rico and a black power movement in mm -hmm. Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had here uh, a James Brown, I'm black and I'm proud, right? Mm -hmm. uh, ten years before the Civil Rights Act was signed into Congress in 1964, Cortillo Sucumbo is the first all-black band on television every single day. Right. That was not happening in America. No. Nope. That was not <laughs> happening in Cuba mm -hmm. or Santo Domingo. Mm -hmm. Okay, Trujillo and Batita were not putting black Dominicans or black Cubans on their TV. In fact, they had white Dominicans and Cubans in blackface. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, All right, and they, they were announcing the bands and everything else. So this was really something that was groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then when Coltijo hits, he does his research. He goes to Don Rafael Cepeda. Mm -hmm. These are the gatekeepers of Puerto Rican bomba, the black Afro Boricua music. Mm -hmm. And he starts getting songs, and he starts getting ideas, and he starts saying, what are the best rhythms for recording? Mm. Now, here is the time when the Cuban guaracha is at its height. Right. Everyone was going crazy for guaracha, you know? That's what they right. wanted to hear. Everyone was dancing, and it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's like if, if it was the twist, or, <laughs> but it was as if it was a disco or something like that, you know? Um, but, uh, so, so... So they start um, this revolution. And I remember Imagina's mother told me of that time when Imael, when he first started singing the first plena with the Pan American. Mm -hmm. And right after that, Coltijo hit. Mm -hmm. And he has these tunes like um, um, El Negro Bembon. Now, how do you translate a Negro Bembon into English? <laughs> Which I've heard people ask me, the big lip Negro? I mean, <laughs> it's how, but right. it's actually such an important song. Yeah. And so he, here he unites the, the elders of the folklore mm -hmm. with the younger people that are dancing to this music and with a black community that up until that time had been oppressed by the conquistadores and now colonized by America. Mm -hmm. all, all right, so this is like a double whammy here, right? Yep. And here comes Cortijo. 
this was liberating. Mm-hmm. And um, Doña Margot told me that it was as if someone had opened the cage and let them all out. Hmm. I, I mean, I always remember the way she said that. Wow. It, 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 it was like that mm-hmm. because they were singing about themselves, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when when Milo's first hit, El Charlatan, mm-hmm. yep. which is also about well, violence against women. Mm. He's protecting his girlfriend. You know, she went to a dance and she went alone and some man accosted her. And now he's there saying, hey, what did you do? You know, you hit her yesterday because she was alone. Come hit me now. <laughs> right, <laughs> it, right. It's, it's, a, it, it's a very much a, a macho challenge. It mm-hmm. really is. Mm-hmm. But it's also a form of protection of the woman. Mm-hmm. She was there alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's coming back for retribution, like, you know. And then you have, and then you've been born, which is about how this guy killed someone just because he was black. Mm-hmm. But when you listen to it, when the guy gets arrested, the cop that arrests him also has a big right, look. right, so right. They're saying the cop is also mm-hmm. a black Puerto Rican, mm-hmm. so maybe he wasn't as black, but he had the big lip, and that he hides the lip, but he tells the guy that's no reason to kill right. anyone, right? And yeah. that's the chorus. Eso no es razón. razón. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, in. in This is 1954, 1955. Mm-hmm. The closest, I think it was in 1955, and you can go on YouTube mm-hmm. and um, get the old uh, videos of Nat King Cole's variety show. Mm-hmm. What a great show that was. Oh, my God, he had such a great artist, and it only lasted one season. Mm-hmm. It wanted to take it national, and it was only in New York. Right. Once they wanted to go national, all the races came out. Of course. And they of course, the yeah. entire show. Mm-hmm. Of course. So now we have nothing. And Cortillo y Sucombo is on Puerto Rican TV from 1964 until 1962. <laughs> wow. So here, in that act alone, Cortillo changes the whole landscape of the music, mm-hmm. especially commercial music. So this is important. Two, he takes the folkloric music out of the fringes, out of the shadows. Out of marginalization, and he brought it yes, to the forefront. It, yeah. And brings it right into the mainstream mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. a TV show every mm-hmm. single day. Right. Three, he has an impact on the society because now they're singing and they're talking about race. Mm-hmm. And they're seeing Afro-Puerto Ricans on television every single day. Mm-hmm. He's changing the taste of society. He's changing their beliefs. He's making an impact on race. And then he changes the industry because now um, it's no longer just Cuban music. Mm-hmm. Now it's also Puerto Rican music. Right. And then the way he styled his music was very...
de los policías Que también era Bembón Le tocó la mala suerte
a bailar mi bomba which Coltivo puts into his second album and makes it oh a my. bailar a gozar mi right. bomba right. Mm -hmm. ay que bomba Oh my God, I love that song so much, yeah. Well, Arsenio yes, yes, brought yes. that to Contigo <clears throat> because Arsenio was what you call, a, a, he was an Afro-Cubano, mm -hmm. but he was a Pan-African. Mm -hmm. And he believed, this is African music. Right. right. This music doesn't belong to Cuba, doesn't belong to, it belongs to all of us that are black. And that's what he proposed. I remember when I interviewed Santiago Cejon once, mm -hmm. the Dominican singer. Mm -hmm. He told me that he began his career, he started as a bolerita mm -hmm. in New York. And it was in the 70s, uh, late 60s. Uh, Arsenio walked into the club where he was singing with his brother Kike. Uh -huh. And heard him and told his brother, bring that nigger over here to this table. I want to talk to him. <laughs> and then he was so nervous because everyone knew who Arsenio was. Who doesn't know? He's these. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Then, so, and then Arsenio <laughs> told Santiago Cerrón if he had ever uh, sang like uh, Soneo. Mm. And Santiago said, no, no, I'm not Cuban, I'm Dominican. And then Arsenio laughed. He said, you black. <laughs> <laughs> music. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. You can be. He said, "I hear your voice. You have it in you mm -hmm. to be un so, un, so, un sonero." Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. he told me that he uh, he got coaching and training from Arsenio, and he was a great sonero. Mm -hmm. right. So yeah, this is what Coltijo did. His impact on the music, which was huge. So here is Arsenio greeting. Contigo and his boys, when they go to the Palladium, and then later on, I think it was in 2005, something like that, I uh, was invited by the Institute of Culture of Veracruz in Mexico mm -hmm. to speak about Puerto Rican music, and I shared a podium with um, Elio Orovio. Uh, who was the uh, foremost musicologist of Cuba uh -huh. at that time. He wrote the book Cuban Music from A to Z. Mm, mm -hmm. And uh, I was uh, talking about Cotillo, and at one point he told me, he was much older than me at the time, and he told me that when Cotillo y su combo would visit Cuba, that Chapotín would suspend any concerts he had or any gigs, because he said everybody would go see Cotisco. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. The right. whole Cuban community was there to see Cotisco. Imagine so that. I found this very amazing. Right. Yeah. That he said that. Imagine that, because Chapultín at the time was like, you know, so popular. People, you know. Yeah, that's incredible.
Fascinating how Arsenio really recognized that this music is our music. It is not, it doesn't belong to just one country, to one island, or to, to anyone in particular, but it belongs to us as a collective. Um, really a beautiful message there. Now is another segment where uh, Aurora talks a bit about Roberto Rowena. So, and how Cortijo saw him and saw his dancing and, and knew immediately that he was going to teach him percussion and that he was going to be incredible and he was incredible um, also there's a show coming about him very very soon um but and then here's another thing um there was a song that they did called satellite and this really is an interesting conversation where it, aurora talks about how they were talking about current events in the music um, and I think that that's very interesting. So you're going to hear that whole story right there. A lot of interesting information. And so far, I mean, it's been really a fascinating conversation. And there's so much really to this and how it connects to other things. Like, like I would have never thought about a connection between uh, Cortijo and Arsenio Rodriguez. And, you know, just connections, connections. They're fascinating. So that's what we're going to hear right now. And then we're going to hear that song, Satellite. Enjoy. Cotillo was always on the lookout for new talent. And so when when Roberto Joena goes to audition for a TV show and he's coming with his cousin from Mayagüez and that's a long drive in those days. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Cotillo sees him and just Cotillo saw the beat in him. Mm -hmm. Well... (laughs) Just from his dancing. Right. And you, I mean. I saw this kid has a beat. Mm-hmm. And he said, kid, come. You're going to be a musician. And he was. <laughs> yes, he was. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, I mean, and how he pushed, you know, Maelo and um, Fe Contigo. You know. Right. Fe really was not related to Contigo at all. No, I, I know. <laughs> 
But he gave her a break because he felt that there was... I also heard a funny story that when he was in New York and La Lupe started performing, that he was in El Teatro Puerto Rico uh-huh. and that she came out and some people were laughing and saying, oh, es una loca, es una loca. And that Coltijo loved her, that he stood up and he started clapping. He said, tráeme la loca. Tráeme la loca. And um, they were good friends. There's a great picture I've seen of Coltijo with Imanuel Rivera and um, and uh, La Lupe. Mm. And they're, they're kind of swinging her along and it's just it's it, it, it's it's a great photo. And <laughs> it shows that great time. I mean, here he is this guy, and they're doing covers of like Dean Martin doing Bolare. Mm-hmm. They're doing. Um, I mean, they really go with the folkloric that are telling stories and bringing current events into the picture. Right. No one else was doing that. Right. When the Russians put a Sputnik up into the sky, Theo mm-hmm. comes out with Satellite. satellite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then even on the TV show, they had a guy come out because their shows weren't just shows.
in this next segment, I, I really love this segment. Well, I love all these segments. I mean, the whole thing's incredible. But this one, it really gives us the idea of what it was like to see Cortijo's performances and, and what they were like, like seeing him on, on El Show de Mediodía. Um, and it's really, it makes me, it makes us feel, it makes the listener feel like we're actually in the room and we're actually seeing this. Um, so really an, a, a really incredible segment here. So you're going to hear what it was really like to see Cortijo shows and, and, and how they were more than just shows. It was a very, it was, it was a whole show, really. It wasn't just the music and the performance. So we're going to hear that. And then we're going to hear a tune called Maquino Landera. Enjoy. We, let's talk about a little bit what his performance was. What else oh, did yes. people do mm-hmm. right. with the right. orchestras? Right. At that time, the orchestras were very, um, and the ensembles, you know, they were very much into the musicians that could read were very proud of this. So right. everyone was glued to their chair, glued to the stand, mm-hmm. all had their music. They just played and did, like, very static, you know? Right, yeah. right. When Cortijo came on that show, there was no music. <laughs> Even the trumpet players were dancing. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was unheard of. Yep. And not only that, they dramatized the shows. So when they did something on Satellite, here they had one of the MCs came out dressed like, like he was <laughs> from a Martian, right? <laughs> they had shows where they would dress up like they were going to run away from home. <laughs> they had shows when you see that black and white uh, TV version of uh, Landera. Yep, I've seen that. See Mac- yeah, they're doing the thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, mm-hmm, how yeah. could you not look? It was a whole show. It wasn't just you know music. It was it was oh, it was great. It was great. So they yeah. freed up the orchestra mm-hmm. from the bandstand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right in the er- in the early fifties when they started doing that mm-hmm. and. Um, so that that was that was really important for um, people moving on because afterwards you saw it even in places like Tito Rodriguez's orchestra that the entire trumpet section maybe they didn't dance but they would like roll back oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah things mm-hmm. like that little so things like that got, yeah yeah musicians now they weren't just the background right they gave they them more of, of an active role in the in the in the whole show yeah right right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, this was Coltijo. He was a maestro. He was a maestro. Chuma, chuma, chuma la cadera, mi machini. 
great story and what just so great it makes us feel like we're actually seeing this um also that the the when she talks about maquino landela and there's that clip there's actually a clip out there on youtube and i'm gonna put the the link to watch it because it's so great to see how it was more than just performances and how you know at the time the, the performances were very static you know the, there was uh you know the the, the the musicians just were just there performing the the music and that was that but he just really uh brought them to the forefront really and included them in the whole show um so really a great right there now aurora tells a really a really great story about when milo was recording uh, Ima Rivera was recording <clears throat> uh, an album called esto si es lo mio personally one of my favorite albums and um she talks about how there's this really great part and you're going to hear the song that she's talking about las caras lindas where he is singing with over the tres solo of mario hernandez so she tells a little story there uh which is really great and then we're going to hear that song las caras lindas so you can hear what she's talking about uh so enjoy when Imael got the uh, tapes from fania mm-hmm. and these were um sort of the reference tapes for uh esto si es lo mio mm-hmm. and um la cara linda mm-hmm. oh, he had that for two weeks over and over and his wife and gladiola was complaining that he didn't talk to anybody he was just <laughs> up with this song and <laughs> talk to him so i remember that day it was me and Jafa, me and Jafa Cotillo. we were in the living room mm-hmm. in the summer and i remember the sun was coming in and milo comes out of the back room and he was like all excited because mm-hmm. he had this idea, right? Uh-huh. He must have been already doing it. So he puts on the tape, and in the tape you can hear uh, the solo of the test, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mario Fernandez's, you know, yeah, test solo. So over the test solo, Maelo is doing like Oye me. Pero que bonita. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he's doing this on top of the right. So we're, so. We're looking at it, and so Rafael Cortillo, Rafa tells him, oh, call up Ma- Mario Hernandez. Let him know, you know, call, call Mario, call Mario now. This is before cell phones. Right. So, um, he might get on the phone, and he, he calls, you know, he, he calls Mario Hernandez. And when he calls Mario Hernandez, you know, these guys, they have very booming voices. <laughs> you can hear them. Mario picks up the phone and he tells, oh, Maelo, and he says, mira lo que estoy haciendo con tu solo, right? Uh-huh. 
look what I'm doing over your solo. Yeah. And Mario Hernandez tells him, no me diga que me dañaste el solo. <laughs> like, don't tell me you ruined my solo, bro. <laughs> right. my solo. <laughs> it was so funny, the banter between mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And 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 I I thought that was so funny that um, Contigo kind of knew that he was gonna get that reaction, and um, but then they were laughing about it, and it was a great part. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have the myth that that was done on the spot in the studio. No, no, mm -hmm. at the studio because I was there at the studio with him. Mm -hmm. If there were certain parts and he saw you dancing, he could shout out your name. <laughs> like that, he would. Uh huh. Like there's one tune, uh, the medio now, uh -huh. uh, mm -hmm. and he says, um, um, Iraida, El Fleri, Gladiola, y Aurora, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Yeah. But that was a, you know, he thought about that. Right. Mm -hmm. He worked on it, mm -hmm. and um, he wanted it to a certain perfection. And again. All this time, even when he was in Fania, Coltijo was always around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I really think that when Coltijo passes in 82, mm -hmm. you know, and I was hanging out with Maelo during that time. I remember in 82, I had my son and mm -hmm. I went to see him mm -hmm. on 8th Street. Mm -hmm. It was 100 West 108th Street. I went to see him. I had my son in a basket. It was February. He was so happy. And Gladiola was there. You know, he had everything. His whole family set up. Everything was. And then later that year, I think it was in December, mm -hmm. passes. Mm -hmm. And life was not the same from my No, no it was. He was never the same again. No. And he used to say that, that Cortijo, took, Cortijo had the key. And took it with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was just so sad. Yeah. It was sad. It was so sad. And, and, uh, but Cortijo did so much for this industry, for this music. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it, it, he just did so much. And, Las caras lindas de mi gente negra Son un desfile de velas en flor Que cuando pasa frente a mí se alegra De su negrura todo el corazón Las caras lindas de mi raza prieta Vienen de llanto de Las verdades que la vida reta, pero que llevan dentro mucho amor. Somos la amenaza que ríe, la amenaza que llora. Por 
eso vivo orgulloso de su colorido. Somos de tu amable, de clara poesía. Tienen su ritmo, tienen melodía. Las caras lindas de mi gente negra. de la bien linda Así que es linda
caras lindas. We don't get any innovation. We don't get any anything. Nothing interesting happens when we do things like that, you know? I mean, music is, is it's a creative form. Music changes. Yes. Music comes from people. People change. Right. They evolve. Right. They use different. I mean, back in the day, I remember when I started in that music, there was still this thought that if you play traditional Latin music, not salsa, but the Latin music, it had to be all acoustic. Mm. Problem was with all acoustics and in all those clubs owned by a lot of guys, it was mob-owned clubs. Right. They didn't care about pianos and the kind of traffic they had. Mm. Back then, they'd have two, three, four, five bands a night. Mm -hmm. every, and they, if they tuned those pianos once every five years, it was a lot. Oh so my you God. have to be relegated to playing on pianos that were completely out of tune. Mm -hmm. And then, you know what it was to carry a bass to these sites in the middle of winter? It, it was, yeah, I right. mean, after a while, you had to bring in electronics. You had to, yeah. you know, the instrumentation had to change. Um, so things change. They mm -hmm. do. They mm -hmm. change. I mean, yeah. because they took music out of the public schools. 
Right. Because I really believe salsa, what is known as salsa, which was the integration of all this music in New York, mm-hmm. and integration of jazz and soul mm-hmm. and R&B, and I, I mean, all, all of this, all of this came together, mm-hmm. and all, from all these salseros had bands. Mm-hmm. They were music in school. Right. And they all have bands in the schools. Yep. And the schools would hire them mm-hmm. to do auditoriums. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when they had dances, they would hire these guys. Mm-hmm. So from, from the time they're teenagers, they're, they, you know, they got yeah, this training. Yeah. From that, we got salsa. Exactly. Yes. Yes. When we talk about the salsa so generation. What happened? And when yeah. they took music out of the schools during mm-hmm. the Reagan years, during the 80s, what did we get the rise of? Hip hop. Yeah. And, and and because of hip-hop and the radio, that's what we have now. Exactly. I mean, I don't even think, they don't even know how to listen to music the way we would listen to it because they didn't grow up with instruments. Right, exactly, exactly. So yeah. they don't even, even if they were, oh, this is great music, if they're not used to hearing that, they're used to hearing one sound, computerized, boom. That right, is. right, exactly. There's when, you ha- when you have to distinguish, oh, that's a bass, that's a sax. I can hear the trumpet over there. I hear a counterpoint. The sax and the trumpets are going at it. One, there's no. Plus, you know, the other thing is that you can't tell who's playing now. Like, like it, you know. Even even if a band does have instruments, it's not like you could tell them. You can listen to the trumpet and be like, "Oh, that's so and so playing," you know. It, it, that's so and so on the on the piano. It, there's no more like distinction and and styles. Like everyone has their own style anymore. There's also you know. Well, yeah. I think to me the worst thing hip hop has done is that back in the day, even in those days, mm-hmm. you didn't have to be a famous musician to be able to support your family. Right. Mm-hmm. You can have a good middle class um, um, income and mm-hmm. lifestyle mm-hmm. because every radio station, every TV station, schools, assemblies, almost everywhere you went needed live musicians. Right, right. There was more. Hip killed that. Every label had to have a band mm-hmm. so that when people want to try out songs and. and, and no more live musicians. Everything is streamed. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. Yep, exactly. And um, to me, that, that that's like, you know, once you get rid of the musicians. Right. Right, and you know. I mean, yeah. There's not much left after that. And, it, and it, somebody like a Ruben Blaze was able to make it the way he did in Salsa mm-hmm. because... The pavement was already, the road was already paved by people like Joan Baez, mm-hmm. Bob Dylan, that whole folkloric scene that came before, mm-hmm. and even the salsa that came before, like Ray Barreto and and, yes. and Palm Mary talking about this, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. this was already paved. What Ruben Blades did, he just took it more international. Yes, and he, he yes, he did. He didn't, you know. And he did. He had good international ideas, but he did nothing new. 
No, I feel like that's that's a misguided notion. As again, a lot of people have is that Ruben was the one who kind of started this música de conciencia. No, no, no. Like we can go all the way back to Rafael Hernández. He that was conscious music, okay? Uh, Pedro Flores when, when Pedro Pedro Flores was writing Despedida. I mean, that's that's conscious music, you know. So yeah. you know he has a very very important place, of course. But Daniel but, Santos and Kivirico when they did that whole album. Uh, uh, Davlita. Davilita, yes. Yes, and of course. Oh, sorry. Davilita. <laughs> yes. Daniel Santos and Davilita. Yes, 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 exactly. So, you they know. They did that whole album. They laid the groundwork. Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. and, they, and they laid the groundwork. And of course, then, you know, yeah. So we have to look at who's on whose shoulders, you know, we stand on a lot of the time, especially when it comes to these artists who came before who and, and who influenced who. So, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, that's, and I have to tell you, even before that, if you look at the history of the drum. Mm -hmm. Which is why drums are so fascinating. Right. They had a history where they were outlawed. Exactly. So when you have this instrument that was at one time outlawed, you know, and why was it outlawed? Because they knew it held power. It held power. Yeah. There's a reason why in Africa and in many places it's 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 the drummers that lead the warriors into mm -hmm. battle. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's a reason for that. Exactly. Meaning that dancing has a power. Yes. Cama con de curumbinan de mi ancora, curumbinan de llorar. Oye, mira si la tuya te sorprende. Tú habla, cuende, 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 nada Que cuando tú estés bien al lado, habla, cuende, 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 nada Cuente, cuente, habla, cuente, 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 
In this next segment, Aurora talks about the Bienvenidos album um, and really an important connection to Tito Puente um, and how he let Cortijo use his, use his orchestra for the recording. And um, you can actually hear him on coro in the, in the song that I'm going to play after we hear this segment. And also you can hear he did the arrangements on that album. So really, you'll hear that a story of how, how he did that and how he worked with Cortijo on that album. And then we're going to hear a tune from that album called Lejos de Ti. Enjoy. So, you know, Contigo, Contigo is a, a, a pivotal person. And um, yeah, it was sad in 1962, you know, when they got arrested in the plane. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. and then uh, Maelo got, gets, you know, the plane ha- is stopped. Ma- the way I was told the story, mm-hmm. Maelo took everyone's drugs. Right. So when they found him with everybody's drugs, they charged him with trafficking. Mm-hmm. But not before arresting him and then parading him around La Fortaleza. Right. So that all the newspapers yeah. and, and 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 reporters could talk about it how was, the way it was even in the newspapers. And I remember Gladiola told me because she was with him. Mm-hmm. Gladiola told me she was even telling the police, why are you handcuffing him? He's not resisting arrest. Right. No, they handcuffed just... him. You see pictures of him in the newspaper. He's got his head down. I know. He looks, yeah. It, it, it was just... so sad. And then, and then you know, they're then... parading him around La Fortaleza as if to say, look, we gave these blacks a chance. And look what they And look what they, him. yeah, exactly. And, you know, they started this whole kind of campaign against him. And, and then, you know. When he tried to do the comeback and Bienvenidos and all that, you know, it didn't even sell well because of the whole campaign kind of that was done against him. And, you know, yeah. That's why Milo stayed here in New York. Mm-hmm. He's going back there to Puerto Rico. But Rafa stayed. Mm-hmm. And Rafa suffered from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they had them painted as drug dealers, mm-hmm. druggies, and they would go out. It, it was really, really bad. Yeah. But... It did serve Maelo because then he started Los Cachingos. Yeah. Yep. And you also see, you can hear how the, his music changes. It does. It does a change. There's a big, there's a, a shift. That it's has, a shift, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, yes. And then you know. It's a shift that is now more New York and more like New York black. Yeah. Yes. And you know, definitely a different sound. It's, it's no longer that Puerto Rico sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, Contigo told me at the time there was so much um, prejudice against him. Mm-hmm. He couldn't keep a band together. Mm-hmm. Plus, El Gran Combo mm-hmm. had stolen their glory. Right. <laughs> so, it was very hard for Contigo, but at that time, when Maelo was about to be released, Tito Puente was in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Tito Puente... And Cortijo were boys. Mm-hmm. Tito Puentes in Puerto Rico. Him and Cortijo are boys. He sees Cortijo's having this, this this hard time. And he says, look, I'm here. What do you need? Let me sit down with you. Let's do a few arrangements. Mm-hmm. Use my band. Record with my band. When you hear that Bienvenido album, you can hear Tito Puente doing coro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's Tito Puente's band. Yep. 
And I remember, oh, I forgot who it was. Um, Sammy Ayala told me that Tito Puente sat with Cortijo and Cortijo told him what he wanted and that in an hour, in an hour, Puente had done like eight, nine arrangements. Right. <laughs> and I mean, they did like the whole album mm -hmm. in record time. Right. <laughs> and they put it out and unfortunately, though, they weren't... Uh, They weren't forgiving. No. The island was not as forgiving. And again, it's a colonialized island. Mm -hmm. So there's a, an island-wide... Yo sé de destrozar que castigo doloroso esta cruel separación porque yo de menos tu aliento tu risa nerviosa y loca y el perfume de tu cuerpo donde libe dulce amor que te desmuye yo y que mi ausencia te destroza castigo doloroso esta cruel separación porque yo echo de menos tu aliento tu risa nerviosa y loca y el perfume de tu cuerpo donde vive dulce amor quisiera ser pensamiento para anidar en tu mente ser la sangre de tu vena y ser tu respiración para 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 hacerte comprender en mi vida maribel es que a pesar de la distancia oye lo que tu corazón y el mío son un solo corazón quisiera ser pensamiento para anidar en tu mente y ser la sangre de tu vena y ser tu respiración para para hacerte comprender en mi vida que se escuche yo que a pesar de la distancia oye lo que tu corazón y el mío son un solo corazón melón, melón de melón en su corazón Solo por 
heard about the Bienvenidos album and Tito Puente and all that. Right. Now, here's what's interesting. There, Cortijo did an album called Time Machine, and it was very different than anything he had ever recorded before. Um, and I love how Aurora talks about this because it was really a fusion. And and um, it, it really, we're going to hear a song after that and you're going to hear how different it is from any of other any of Cortijo's other work before it and then still it has that sound and you can tell it's him but but it's very different and it's very new and it's very like it, it's a fusion of so many different elements um and it's really a fascinating album to me when I listen to it um and it's so it's a really interesting to hear how how not only talk about time machine but also how it was how Irakere was influenced by that album and how you can really hear that on a tune called Xiomara that they did. And I'm going to put the link to that song up in the description if you want to hear it as well. So you can hear that influence of Cortijo. And I never would never would have thought of this either of Cortijo and Irakere. Like, really, the Irakere is influenced by Cortijo. But if you listen to this, you'll see that it, that they that you can hear it. You can hear that clear influence. So without further ado, let's listen to. Um, that and then we're going to hear a song from that album called De Coco y Anis. Enjoy. I would never have guessed that, to be honest. From like Irakere and Cortijo, that's that's kind of an interesting connection. But then you know, listening to it, you're, I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, I I can I can hear that. Yeah. I mean, Cortijo. When we were talking before about his impact on the music, mm-hmm. he came up with rhythms like Orisa. Mm-hmm. He came up with things like Sorongo. Mm-hmm. He came up with even the way the the black community would speak Spanish, Quembe. Mm. Now, if you listen to Quembe, yeah. right? Maelo says, um, Quembe is what you speak when you're a little drunk, <laughs> when you're in love. <laughs> no, he says that, uh-huh. and then he starts speaking African. Mm. <laughs> And so what Cordillo told me that that's the African dialect. Mm. That, mm-hmm. that is still in them. Yeah. And it just fall, mm-hmm. and they can say the words, but they say them as if they were speaking in an African dialect. Yeah. And that's what he called Gwembe. Mm. Which, I, I, again, is so fascinating to Cordillo's legacy. And then to the future, here Cortillo, like I said, Cortillo was always looking for the next fresh talent, for the next thing. And here he has, he he, he has a younger crowd now in the mm-hmm. 70s. This mm-hmm. is now more of a college crowd. This is more of a crowd that, that um is also looking for their roots. Yeah. So he hooks up uh, Cortillo partners with this phenomenal guitarist, and arranger 
Egando Miranda. Mm-hmm. He's a young, uh, from I think it was from UPR. And then he brings in some other people like Pepe Catillo. Mm-hmm. Guys, and um, they do this album, Time Machine. Time Machine was a phenomenal album because it included elements of rock. Mm-hmm. elements of jazz, of what was going on at that time. Yeah. You remember the 70s was huge and a lot of the Latin groups after Santana right? kind of <laughs> mainstream recognition, you mm-hmm. know, because they figured well, if this is what the young kids are liking let's give let's it to do them, it. right? Yeah. So Coltillo was no different to that and no. Coltillo was thinking okay, but how can I include my plena, my bomba. And I have to tell you, he would talk about these rhythms as if they were his children. Mm. He used to tell me that he took the bomba and dressed her up in her Sunday best so that he could take her to walk around the world. Oh, I mean, wow. but the way he said That's it was beautiful. Like, That's beautiful. Yeah, oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. He, 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 he would talk about it like that. Mm. And he said it would have elements of all the different places she went to. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought that was just amazing. Yeah. I don't hear that in any of the groups today. No, no, that's, that's so beautiful. I don't hear that anywhere, but you hear something like Time Machine. Now, when I heard Time Machine, I thought it was so ahead of its time. Mm. But I also saw that it was... Being, it was produced and distributed by Coco Records. Mm-hmm. And Coco Records, that was Harvey Averne, and they, you know, they were competing with Fania. Oh, and the yeah. was all, and I felt they didn't know how to market this. They should have marketed um, Time Machine to the college crowd. Mm. Not only the college crowd here, but in Puerto Rico, I think they really right. would have gotten it. Yeah. But they marketed it to the same you can't, older You can't with that kind of record. Crowd. It's not going to work because no, it's... And they actually sent it back. They said, this is not contigo. That's the same thing, though. That's what happens, you know? Like, like it's like what happened with Ray Barreto and he did The Other Road and people were like, this is not Ray Barreto. You know, same thing. You can't, you can't market it to your same audience that was hearing you before because now they're like, they just want to hear more of the same thing. It's, you know. However, unlike Barreto... Hmm. This time machine made its way to many places. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm at Billboard, at the Billboard office. Mm-hmm. And Tito Puente comes in. Uh-huh. <laughs> all excited. <laughs> and he had gone to Cuba. Now, I know that it, <laughs> it was closed relations at that time. Right. <laughs> but actually... Tito would be when he was one of, I think, the only Puerto Rican that would be invited to certain ceremonies mm-hmm. that were still going on there. Mm-hmm. Maybe it come from one of them. I don't know. I didn't ask him a lot of questions. He just told me, he came over to my desk where I sat in a little cubby mm-hmm. and said, you got to hear this. Uh-huh. And I'm like, what? He said, this is a group in Cuba. This is going to blow your mind out, Ora. And guess what? <laughs> They said that they were influenced by Contigo's time machine. Because he knew I like Contigo. Right. He, he, I mean, he told me about, you know, that whole uh, uh, Bienvenidos album. Mm-hmm. He loved Contigo. Mm-hmm. I mean, and one of the things I liked about Tito that was so good, T 
Gino was all into his studies. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody says he went to Juilliard and the Schillinger right. Method. Mm-hmm. A lot of them went to Juilliard because at that time, Juilliard was not the Juilliard of today with mm-hmm. all the prestige. Mm-hmm. Juilliard was part of the YMCA of Harlem on 135th Street. Mm. So okay. anybody could go there and study. Right. But Tito went there, he studied, and he was all about studying. Yeah. And the Schillinger method helped him a lot in terms of it was like a shorthand for arranging, mm-hmm. which is why yeah. he could sit down and, and do, do it like that. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But Tito was also very aware that to really have that, mm, that energy that makes you stand up and take notice. Yeah. You had to go to the streets. Yes, yes, I know. I was listening to an interview and he said that. He said to really, you know, you can study in the universities, but you have to get out into the street and play if you really want to be great, you know. Was, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, 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 what, and, and the reasoning of that is European musicians, you know, uh, think of the music in their head first. And then it's written down. And then they write it out. Mm-hmm. Then it's practiced. Then it's mm-hmm. performed. Mm-hmm. In Africa, in Taino, mm-hmm. at Aretos, right? right? Yeah. All right. The music happens on the spot. It was just, it just the singing was on the spot. Mm-hmm. Oh, this one caught the biggest fish. Look what happened. We're all gonna eat. We're all gonna drink. We're all gonna have a good time. And the dancing, everything happened just, on the spot. Yes, exactly. So that's where where these traditions come from. Of of you know the soneros just improvising and and all that. That's where it comes from. You know. Yeah, so Tito realized that you needed these two. You needed to bring and them together. What, yeah, you yeah. need to bring these mm-hmm. two things together. Yeah. And so when he came in, and he's all excited, and he knew that I knew this too. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've always said that saved me <laughs> in dealing with all these men in the music industry, I knew the music. Mm-hmm. When I would speak to them about the music, and they recognized that I could hear these things, right? Then it took me to another level. Mm-hmm. And he gave me this tape. He tells me that this group is so influenced by Contigo's Time Machine. I go home and I play it, and it's a practice tape of Irakere, Fiomara. That was like the first tune on there. Right. They had another tune that was like all a cappella. They would use a lot of a cappella stuff. Mm-hmm. There was one called Taka Taka Ta. Mm-hmm. Taka Taka Ta. Taka Taka Ta. Taka 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 the moment I heard it, I could hear how they were using the rock guitar. Mm-hmm. How they were using these elements of Cordillo, and it did blow my mind. Cordillo, he did have the key. He really yes, did he did. Yes, he did.
in this last segment, um, Aurora shares a story about singing coro with Cortijo. Um, and it's, in fact, it's a very funny story. So we're going to hear that. And then I have some closing words and we're going to hear two more songs. Um, but I have some closing words, you know, to say and, and what I got from this conversation. And um, yeah, so enjoy. I do remember one time when we were hanging out with them. I guess, I, I don't know if I said this story before, maybe not, but um, he invited me to go to this gig in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. I go to the gig and it was a nice gig at this big event and uh, a, a tablecloth, ta- <laughs> tables, very fancy. Mm-hmm. And he invites me to do coro with him. And there I am doing coro with Daniel Santos' son, uh-huh. Rodney Santos, who in my Rivera raised. Right, yeah. Lalo Rodriguez and Imae Rivera Jr. Mm-hmm. And me. Mm-hmm. So Cotillo was real happy because he said, I have the high voice, que yo tenía requinto, and he liked that. And so we do the gig. We're in Connecticut. We finish. It's like 2 in the morning. Mm-hmm. We're coming back on the bus. We're coming to the Bronx, and we stop in the South Bronx. And I'm like, why are we stopping here? And he goes, we got another gig. I'm like, really? <laughs> another gig? We go into the Cejo Man. Was it the Cejo Man? It was an after hours. Uh-huh. And it was in, 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 in the South Bronx. Uh-huh. I guess near Hunts Point somewhere. And I remember I walked in, it was packed. Mm-hmm. Act like sardines. <laughs> and the windows were painted black. Oh, God. Yeah. And I'm like, that's what I said. Uh oh. And, and there's no stage, it's just the floor, you know? So everybody's all around you. Oh, my God. And I'm the only woman in the band. <laughs> I knew I was in the wrong place. I was like, oh, no. Oh, my God. So after we finished the first set, I'm terrified. Oh, my God. So Kafa makes a beeline for the bar. <laughs> I follow him. When we get to the bar, um, he orders his drink. I I tug on his suit, and I tell him, Kafa, tu no me deja la quisola, verdad? I, I, I told him, you're, you're not going to leave me alone, right? And he turned around and he looked at me and goes, yo no soy niñera. I'm not a babysitter. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm screwed here. I'm screwed. He's not a babysitter. He's not going <laughs> to leave me. Every wolf in town is here. <laughs> oh, my God. But I got to say, Lalo was on that trip, so Lalo was very nice, and I just hung out with Lalo, and I hung out with Imaya Rivera Jr., and it was like, okay, I'm going to hang out with the guys, and there was like a little um, stairwell that you could go up to this little balcony or how, and anyway, we hung out up there for a little while. When we left, it was daylight, honey. (laughs) It was daylight, and I was like, oh my God, (laughs) and I was so terrified. Cortijo was laughing. This was Saturday night. The next day, they had other gigs. <laughs> so I told him, no, 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 no. I'm going to stay home and write. <laughs> I'm going to stay home and write, okay? Uh, I'm not. So I didn't go to my house for like a few days. Mm-hmm. And then when I went, 
Hafa was there, some of the guys were there. There was always people there. There was young people there. And they all looked at me and they said, Aurora! And they had a coro montado. Aurora Serra, oh, Aurora Serra. <laughs> they said, Aurora got scared. She didn't want to do coro anymore. <laughs> go, go to these places? It was like, I'm like, I'm not ready to do that. <laughs> oh, my God. So that was the end of my singing career. <laughs> I, it was dangerous. It really was. Mm -hmm. I was like not feeling. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. I loved the little club in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. That was great. Mm -hmm. All the other stuff was like, no, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's okay. But you know, once you make a commitment, you got to go wherever the band leader goes. Right, right. right. Mm -hmm. So that's when I said, okay, so this is not for me. <laughs> It's all right. This is not for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up listening to the early work, a lot of the the early work of of Imael Rivera and Cortijo, and you know, my father always talked about them, um, and he never talked about one without the other. It was always Imael and Cortijo, and he always talked about them and always played their music for me growing up when I was very when I was very young, and that always. It's interesting. The songs that I always remember are songs like Volare and, and Machino Landela, Cucala, things like that. And it always, it, the music, it, it's the kind of music that goes deep into your heart and, and you know, when you're young and then doesn't, um, you know, just, it just, you always remember it. And so that's, Cortijo has always, you know, and Maelo, of course, have always held a very special place in my heart because I grew up with them and, you know, with their music um, uh, you know, played a lot. And I mean, my father played their music a lot. So, you know, they have always held a special place in my heart. They always will. And so it was really beautiful to to be able to do this show about them and to really honor Urtijo and to talk about how pivotal and seminal he was and how what he did. I mean, where what would have happened if there wasn't a figure like Urtijo, you know? Um, and what, what he did was so important. So really, we thank him we thank him so much, and we are, you know, his contributions were so important. So we say, Feliz cumpleaños, maestro. Um, you know, what a seminal artist. What an incredible, um, an incredible musician. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this show. I know I enjoyed listening to this conversation to talk with Aurora and um, really to just, just, just learn so much and the connections. Um, so really, really beautiful. Uh, I felt like like in a way, I get to know them, you know, talking to Aurora and her sharing all her stories and, and this really great and also the great context, the historical and context of the time as well. But just sharing these stories, I feel like I get to know them in a way, you know, it was like it's it's beautiful. So anyway, and again, a huge, huge thank you to Aurora for taking the time to do this show with me. And and um, yeah. so anyway, until next time, for, I'm going to leave you with two songs this time. Uh, we're going to hear a tune called Sorongo, and then we're going to hear a tune called Alegría y Bombay. Um, and that's from an album that he did called Rimos y Cantos Callejeros. That has Milo Yohei Herman Coro, but uh, that has the great uh, Cheverico Davila singing on that album. And I love that album. It's one of my favorites. So then again, I probably say that about all his albums. But um, that album is, it's beautiful. Just, so we're going to hear two songs, Sorongo and Alegría y Bombay. Um, two beautiful tunes there. And then, um, yeah, anyway, until next time, keep dancing, keep honoring your ancestors. This has been Ananin Kaike and Voice of the Water Lily. Um, 
con mucho, mucho cariño. Chao. ¿Qué bonche es este? ¡El deportivo! ¿Cómo lo sabe? Bye.
Don't buy. 